What is up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Five Star Jobbers Podcast. I'm Cody. And I am a cult of personality. Yeah, we'll get into that here in a little bit. Of course, he's going to brag about it, and he bragged about it on social media. But, like I said... I believe it's Paul Heyman and myself who are, you know, we're valid enough when when we speak on the business to say that's not a... That's not an opinion. That's a spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, we'll get into that here in just a little bit. But first of all, thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We've got content up there now from our previous event that we went to this past October at Hope Championship Wrestling. Also, follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well. Also, we've got upcoming events going on uh, in December. December 2nd, we will be at Guardians Legacy over in Panama City, Florida at Rosenwald High School. So go and get your tickets and come see us there. But right now, we want to get into something special. We have a very special guest here. The first guest we've had in a while on the podcast. But I want you all to make welcome Justin Overstreet. Justin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast here. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Well, I've kind of been able to converse with you a little bit after the hybrid pro wrestling event. John, this is our yeah. first interaction uh, with Justin. But... Kind of tell us about who you are and just a little bit about yourself and what you've uh, been up to lately. Uh, honestly, usually around the end of the year, I try to uh, take it easy just because, uh, you know, um, I guess mostly in this area, there's not much out there as far as uh, fans attending a lot of wrestling shows. There's few, but I always make this my time to try and heal up from the whole, you know, year of, of just traveling and being out there. It, it, it don't get any easier the older we get, so... You know, absolutely just absolutely been, just been trying to you know just just nurse it so that way i don't overdo it right i understand yeah because i mean yeah there's like you said there's still events going on during this time of year and some even try and schedule events on christmas day but yeah it it, it, it just depends but yeah i understand completely so kind of tell us about, about yourself and uh kind of tell us how you got into professional wrestling uh, I mean, uh, to be honest, I got into it. Well, originally, I, I guess mentally, I got into it as a kid. I was like three years old, and uh, my mother took a nap, and I grabbed the remote from her, and I was just trying to, you know, find Rugrats on Nickelodeon and channel searching. All of a sudden, uh, I'm looking at Sting and Ric Flair, Great American Bash, and, you know, they were just going over recaps of Sting capturing the title. And at first, I'm like, man, is this a cartoon turn real or something? And <laughs> just just from there, man, I guess that's that's what caught me. I kept watching and watching, and you know, once they told me when I can tune in, you know, I just made it a point to to be there when the calendar said it. Right, that's awesome, and I think that's because a lot of times whenever we talk to other professional wrestlers, it always starts when they're a kid and we're watching TV or whenever parents mm-hmm. are asleep or anything like that. But it's always good to hear different stories about how we all got into it. But what got you into it? Like physically, like when when did you first start going into professional wrestling? Uh, I was 19, and truthfully, I always wanted to get into it, but I just, you know, it's just one thing. When you live in, I was living in small town Dothan, Alabama, so it's like, you know, there's no way we can get into this. You know, I'm not going to go. Power plant don't really exist anymore. You know, it's like 2009, so I'm like, I don't even know how to get into it. And then um, I worked at Winn Dixie. And I was honestly, I was going through a divorce. Um, I had custody of my daughter. She was like six months. And I'm like, you know, I, I need a hobby. I need something to do. And then I met uh, a gentleman by the name of Ben Bracken that told me about the underground wrestling, you know, of uh, independent wrestling. I was like, no, there's no way. And 
the reason I even met him was because, like I said, we worked at Win Dixie together. He had an Undertaker tattoo on his forearm. And as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh man, there's a wrestling fan that works here. I'm gonna talk to him. And <laughs> you know, it just blossomed from there. You know, I needed I needed something to I guess for me to a break from being a dad and, you know, just getting over a divorce and it, it, it truly blossomed from the flea markets of Dothan, Alabama. That's awesome. Um, so what would you say has been one of the defining moments in your career? Or like how, how long of a career have you had so far? Like, Oh man, this past September was 14 years. Wow. That, that's, oh, yeah. that's, that's incredible. Really yeah. It's, and, it's, uh, like I said, that's why I take more time to heal now. <laughs> exactly. In those uh, fourteen years, uh, any any notable wrestlers that you've uh, been able to share a locker room with? Any interesting oh, stories yeah. of the of the indie road? Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't say anything too interesting. I mean, it, it took fourteen years. I mean, um, so you know, I, I'm very close with uh, Ray Lloyd. Uh, he mentored me for about 10, 11 years. You know, for those who don't know Ray Lloyd by his name, it's a uh, glacier from WCW. Right. Um, like he's been very influential because. Was, uh, I was probably a year in. I'm like, I got to get out of this, you know, area, this Dothan. So I'm emailing maybe 300, 400 who I thought was um, promoters out there on the road. And um, I accidentally uh, emailed Ray Lloyd because I, I, I was Googling promoters for wrestling. And I guess he was still on there because he used to book for Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling for Dusty Rhodes uh, out in the Georgia area. But when I emailed him, you know, Turnbuckle wasn't a thing anymore. And out of all 300 people I emailed, he was the only one who replied He was, and just said, hey, you know, I don't really book anymore, but I respect the fact that you put together a resume. Like that tells me alone that you understand this is a business. This is not, you know, playtime. So yeah. from that's, there, a, that's something know, that's definitely lost on a lot of individuals that try and get into this business. Like it's important oh, yeah. to have a resume because uh, promoters are not going to take you seriously if you just show up and just say you want to get around and wrestle because – this is a oh, yeah. business that you're trying to get into and you got to be, you got to look the part, but you also got to act the part. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because it's like they say at the end of the day, it's like you represent me. If I put you on my show and you know, you're out in town gallivanting and destroying stuff. And they're like, Hey, I saw this guy wrestle here. You're making the show look bad too. It's just like, you know, if you work for some fortune 500 company, what you do on social media and who you are outside reflects the company you work for. So exactly. I mean, that's just the way I see it, you know? Exactly. Uh, so you talked about like what got you into professional wrestling, just watching it as a kid. But when did it click in your mind that this is what I want to do? Like this is something that I want to pursue, and this is something that I see myself doing in the future. Oh, dude, the underground. Uh, I guess you'd call it the underbelly of backyard wrestling for sure. Like <laughs> you know, I think I was you know I got into it when I was like three, four, five, but never truly did I you know. Uh, we start getting on trampolines until I was like 10, 11, 12, me and my brothers. And then it expanded to my cousins. And then, uh, you know, I lived in a trailer park when I was way younger. And uh, I mean, we had a whole trailer park wrestling federation. There was like 15, 20 kids. <laughs> that went, you know, it started on the trampoline. And then uh, like just this park had a place where they threw away old mattresses. So we went out there and, and cleaned the mattresses and made a big square circle out of it. And, None of the parents knew where we were because we were in like the wooded area where no one went. So, but yeah, I was probably like 10, 11, 12 was when I first started. I'm like, hey, I can actually be good at this because I understand, I felt like I understood the logic of wrestling, but you know, not until I actually got into training that I really not know crap. <laughs> right. 
I mean, it all starts somewhere. And uh, like you said, because uh, I can remember vividly, like whenever I was maybe about the same age, me and my cousin getting into wrestling and on the trampoline and everything. And I'll never forget. This is probably one of my favorite moments. Whenever we were wrestling in the backyard, we had the, the 360 netting around ours and yes. it didn't, it didn't last very long. Cause no. I was quote unquote leaning up against the ropes and, or in this case, leaning up against the net and he goes for a spear and we both go right through the net onto the grass. See, that was a little bit after my time, I guess, because we didn't have a net. All we had, we uh, we put the trampoline up to our trailer. And my mom, she tells the story to anybody that she ever meets now. Uh, it's like 3 a.m. and the cops get, you know, come up and all the neighbors call the cops on us because we're wrestling each other. And my brothers were like, throw me against the trailer. So we're the only one in the trailer park. And I have like 300 trailers that had just big dents on the side of it because we were using it as a battering <laughs> ram. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, Cody. Cody's part of that special generation. Not not you and me, Justin. You know, they they put they put uh, bubble wrap around him everywhere he went. Yeah, you know, I can remember our first trampoline it. didn't have the padding on it or anything. I did, but uh, after... I did the same stuff with, with my buddies, and yeah, we would just if you speared somebody, you were both going off the trampoline. So it was like, okay, yes. I'm learning to flat back really good because if I don't do it right, I'm going to die. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah, definitely got ate up by the uh, springs a lot. Yeah, better be careful not to oh, double bounce. I can't tell you how many times yes. I got a leg. Yeah, we it was in the middle of a. Uh, of a Ric Flair figure four and uh, you actually get your leg inside the spring and then I start tapping out and the guy's like, what's going on? I'm like, I literally am bleeding. Come on. You gotta <laughs> let me get it. <laughs> oh, see, this is what we love about the podcast, especially whenever we meet uh, uh, like in, like-minded individuals that love professional wrestling, or even when we get to meet independent wrestlers is that mm-hmm. everybody has different stories, but we all can connect in some way to how we got into professional wrestling. And okay. I'm sure a lot of our viewers and a lot of, people that you come into contact with will t- say the same thing about how they got into it or what got them into it. But see, this is what I love about whenever we get to do this podcast, but g- going off of that, we always like to do this whenever we have a guest on the show. So who would you say is your Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling? Oh man. I know it's, uh, it's I mean, tough to put you on the spot. And, 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 and we'll, I'll pre- we'll preface it with this. We always say, you know, Anybody who's who's a real wrestling fan, and obviously people who are in wrestling are real wrestling fans, or at least we hope they are. Uh, we could probably have 18 different Mount Rushmores depending on the category. So more like when we say your Mount Rushmore, like when you watch professional wrestling and you decide to become a professional wrestler, you know who who are the people that inspired you most, who you molded yourself after most, and that you know at the end of the day, like you know. Where where did you take most of your your inspiration and um, you know what you know your, the what led you down the path to be the, the character that you would eventually be yourself as well? I mean, fun story is like everything that I've picked away from people that inspired me to be a wrestler has zero to do with my Mount Rushmore though. <laughs> like it, oh, it, it's weird. Yeah, it's weird. So like the way I always explain it to people, if you go based off eras. I would say it, yep. it started with Luthez, Bruno Sammartino, Hulk Hogan, and then Steve Austin. And I feel like those were the four greatest of their eras that drew the most money that put it mainstream to everybody. You know, like I, I always ask people who are not in wrestling, but they've been wrestling fans. I always, the first thing I ask them is like, well, take a person who's never heard of WWE. Do they know who Hulk Hogan was? Do they know who Steve Austin was? Like, yeah. So that's what made them different. You know, I, I mm-hmm. still to this day, some uh, some non wrestling fans still don't know a Shawn Michaels. 
you know, they still don't know a Triple H, but they know a Rock, you know, they know a Hogan. But um, if you go to me, like, based on like who I kind of uh, inspired me, who were my top dogs, I mean, you know, Undertaker was a big one. Uh, Sting was hands down my favorite of all time. Uh, Edge stuck out a lot to me as well, like, later in the years. And then it, it, here's the funny one, though, because, you know, I use the Spine Buster as a finisher, and everybody's always just assuming it's because I was a big Arn Anderson fan, which I was. But – I, TNA Chris Harris was the guy who I watched a lot because I'm I was built like him six four you know he's six four six five never in the best of shape but not not in good shape you know it's like never had the million dollar body but just the way he moved and just the way he delivered the spine buster the psychology just a lot of that it, it, I watched a ton of his matches you know pre and post AMW and uh, yeah I mean he was one I guess when it got more of a less of a dream and more of a potential goal to get in the ring, Chris Harris was someone that I actually like, like watching a lot. Wow. Yeah, that, no, that's that, a- I love his work with uh, the main America's most wanted with him and James storm. They were, they were fantastic. And I was always oh, kind yeah. of bummed that, 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 that group didn't really get to go to the next level. But then again, uh, I was also a really big fan of beer money too. So uh, <laughs> it seems like James storm's got a knack for, for making good tag teams. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever heard somebody mention Chris Harris like in their Mount Rushmore, but you know, they oh, just yeah. that's it's like we just said, you know, everybody has something different by what they go off of, where they draw inspiration off of. But mm-hmm. yeah, of course I'm an Undertaker Mark. Everybody knows that, and everybody knows how much I'm a fan of his. He was probably my favorite of all time. John here, of course, of course, John loves Hulk Hogan, don't you, John? May he rot in peace. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nah, I was good. John here loves Shawn Michaels and loves Triple H, and so yeah. Uh, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I was never a huge fan of Hulk Hogan, but it's just one of the things where, you know, you got to stop being a fan and look at it for what it is. Like without Hogan, would we have ever had 90s wrestling? Would it have still been as popular without Hogan? That's just the way I look at it. Yeah, I mean, it's like no, we I, mean, I look at Hogan as, uh, you know, as uh, uh, you know, a paramount part of, of the business. And I'll never take away, you know, what, what he did for the business but then when you compare a hulk hogan to a rick flair and you want to talk about you know who did what was best for business and not just best oh, yeah. for their business you know they're you know guys like sting guys like rick flair guys like the undertaker i mean even you know even sean in his not best days people will talk about him you know providing you know some uh, support and assistance certain people that he deemed, you know, worthy of his, of his counsel, you know, you know, we wouldn't have triple H if, if Sean didn't take him under his wing. Oh yeah. Uh, and, you know, say like really honestly, the same thing with, with, with big daddy, cool Kevin Nash, you know, Sean's the one who got Kevin over from WCW where he was Oz. Mm-hmm. Big daddy cool. So, I mean, like you look at guys who just like live, eat and breathe the business and, are always thinking about what psychology is and yeah. Hulk, Hulk always just cared about Hulk. Oh yeah. Yeah. Be, being and, a Sting fan, trust me. Yeah. Star K 97 was the first pay-per-view yeah, yeah. I was able to have. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> no, if you're, if you're a Sting fan, you know, like I'm a Stink fan, I will never forgive Hulk Hogan for Star K 97 because oh, yeah. at the end of the day, that like, there's no better match for me to prove my point of, 
Like it's one thing to know, you know, it's one thing to know that a run has more in it, and then, but it's another thing to know when a run needs to come to an end and and yeah. give it that nice bookend finish to a storyline. And mm-hmm. you know, us as a generation were robbed of a of a good clean storyline for the NWO because Hogan didn't want to do the job that night. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, everybody has different opinions on it, and everybody has different uh, Mount Rushmore's. But you know, at the end of the day, we're all still fans of professional wrestling, and everybody has their different uh, ways that they draw inspiration from others. But it's always good to hear like differing sides and differing opinions, just because like everybody's different in the way that they approach or the way that they watch or see professional wrestling. But it's like I said, there's a bunch of different ways that we could go with our Mount Rushmore's, whether it's looking at the best like technical wrestlers or the best entertainers or like just different ways and stuff like that. But yeah, you know, I will say that's an interesting Mount Rushmore, but I, I love the, where you draw the inspiration from those guys. But Justin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast here. Uh, before we end things here, uh, where can people find you? Like, do you have any upcoming events? I know you said you're kind of taking a break right now, but do you have anything coming up soon? Oh yeah. Believe it or not, December 2nd in Panama city, I won't be at the guardian show. Um, but I do try to tell fans, Hey, go check them out. They're very family friendly, but about 30 minutes down the road at Panama city beach, we do our hardcore um, more, I'd say PG 14 rated show. Uh, we have every match in a still cage in Panama city beach, December 2nd. So nice. every, Oh yeah. Every feud that has been going on for about better part of a year, pretty much ends in, in the cage. And that's pretty much the, it's almost like a TNA lockdown situation, but we give it a little bit more pizzazz. So like, I'm going to be, uh, facing my former tag partner, Cameron Thomas, in an I Quit Still Cage match. So, you know, a little bit of a Tolly and Magnum TA homage there. Uh, but, yeah, and we also start two hours before. So, fans, if they get, you know, frisky, they can attend both shows still. Okay, but, awesome. Now, what's the name of the promotion and where's it going to be at? It's called uh, XIW, Extreme Impact Wrestling, and it's going to be at 225 Shalimar Street. Uh, the sport – it's a Travel Lodge Sports Complex. Awesome. Um, but yeah, bell, the doors open at four and the bell times at five. Awesome. So fans, if you're in the area, if you're in the Panama City area, you can go check out XIW and go check out Justin and see all the other guys in the cage. Justin, thank you so much oh, for yeah. joining us on here. Hey, real quick, let, let me throw out there. If you're a huge wrestling fan, we'll also have Austin Aries there. I think I did see something about oh, that. So yeah, awesome. any oh, fans yeah. of Austin Aries or any fans of professional wrestling, definitely want to go check that out. But like I said, Justin... Thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you again and having you on the podcast in the future. Cool. Hey, thanks for having me out here, guys. All right, John, you ready for some reviews? Oh, I've been ready for, I guess, the last uh, almost, not quite 24 hours now. But, yeah, let's let's talk about how, uh, how smart I am and uh, how wrong you are. All right, all right. Yeah, we'll get into it. So, a lot to talk about this week. Now, with our high spots and botches, I kind of am going a different route because most of my high spots, I'm I'm already going to go ahead and give the win for the week to uh, WWE on this one, strictly based yeah, off of how War Games went. But War Games was was a masterpiece, and yeah, they, they cherried they cherried it at the end. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean AEW had solid matches this week, but that, I mean honestly, they they're just they're just coming off uh, a long run of of, of PLEs, pay per views, whatever you want to call them, uh, and they're building up to their next. One. So I mean, it was just a—it was an impossible matchup this week. WWE all the way. Exactly. Um, high spot for me this week. I was gonna pick, choose between the two, but 
I'm going to let you take the other one because I think I know what yours is going to be. Mine was Randy Orton returning at War Games, still in probably prime shape. I mean, still a little worse for wear, but still was able to hold his own, still was able to deliver a... What was that? He looks better now than he did when he left. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. absolutely jacked, and I mean, like, he... Yeah, he looked like, I mean, obviously he wasn't doing a whole, like, he can't, he didn't do a whole lot. He kind of went through his best hits, but he was so fluid. I mean, there was no ring rust. I mean, honestly, he just looked like he came in there and, like, you know, like he had just gotten done with a house show the day before. Absolutely. For those of you that are listening right now and wondering why the audio is a little uh, spotty or so, we're joining through Zoom right now, so we're on a Zoom call. But we're still going to get through all of it, but... Yeah, I mean, Randy Orton absolutely delivered and then some at War Games. And then, of course, I, I can already tell what your high spot's going to be. So I'll, I'll let you go ahead and take it away. So, yeah, my high spot comes right after the Randy Orton. Uh, you know, he comes in and, you know, the, the good guys clean house and, and win the match. And the copyrights come in and they're standing in, you know, they're standing in the ring, you know, hands up in the air. And it's like, all right, cool, great, great end to a war games match and right as you're i mean i don't know about anybody else but right as i was about to go ahead and turn it off and go to bed because i'm old and i go to bed before midnight a cult of personality and cm punk walks out in that chicago arena and i mean you i i think the people in california could register earthquake from how how big that pop was 100 percent it was it was an absolutely fantastic setup i mean wwe went you can tell they went through great lengths to put out so much and it looked like it was gonna end and they made sure to to let it be known that it was randy that was going to be the street opponent they didn't have people thinking it was going to be CM Punk, and they're just waiting till literally that last minute. And it, I mean, it was just—I mean, it was a fan, it was a fantastic—it was one of those fantastic moments. And you know, we talked about this on last week's uh, podcast. You know, just about how hard it is to you know keep kayfabe and how hard it is to keep secrets in the modern era with you know with with just everybody posting new things here and there every day. Right. So for WWE to be able to, to keep that secret till the very end and really, you know, have that done as well as it was. I mean, that's that's just it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, and I mean, I was yeah, it, it, it popped me like a like a little like a girl on her 16th birthday getting a pink Mercedes. I mean, I was absolutely I was I was excited, but yeah, no, that was absolutely fantastic. And, and Puck looks good. Like honestly, he 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 came out and he honestly looked healthier and happier than than he did uh, in that last little run with AEW. So, you know, a, a lot of people are coming out and they're they're very negative. And you know, obviously, people know where I stand on it. I don't think that the guy is like this great saint. Don't get me wrong. I think he's caused a lot of his own problems, but I think he's someone who cares a lot about his craft. And I also think that he's somebody who's hopefully been humbled quite a few times. And I think that this is going to, you know, the fact that he went to a WWE show while he was still in AEW to go and, you know, make apologies. And obviously 
you know, you look at you look at a guy like Triple H. Triple H is not going to bring Phil Brooks back in the company if there's not some kind of amends, because those those two did not see eye to eye, and you know they they worked well together in the ring, but you know, I don't think that they were uh, very uh, amicable behind closed doors. So see, and that was my whole know, thing I, about CM Punk coming back in the first place because I had no doubt in my mind, or so I thought, that he and Triple H could not agree on anything, that there was no mending of the relationship or anything. There's no way that they could work together because Triple H couldn't put his personal feelings aside to in order to do what was best for business with CM Punk. But kind of talking about the negative aspect of it, we've been seeing reports all over that apparently the WWE locker room is not too thrilled with CM Punk coming back. Now, there's been I mean, some. I think you're gonna. I think that's just scuttlebutt. I mean, I'm sure there are people who don't like Phil Brooks and are not happy about it, but I'm sure there are, are people that are currently in the back room right now at WWE that one wrestler doesn't like another wrestler, and they still make do. I mean, it's it's not like a you know it's not like a wrestling promotion is the Brady Bunch, you know, everybody's not going to like each other all the time. At the end of the day, it's, can you be professional? Exactly. And, you know, I've, I've made, I've made, I've made this comparison so many times and I'll continue to, because it's the difference between professionalism and fanboyism. You know, you take Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart genuinely did not like each other, work fine together. You take, you know, uh, people like Hulk and Macho, and, you know, they were really good friends at one point, And then there's been other times where they wouldn't have spit on each other if they were on, the other one was on fire. Exactly. But still able to do work together. I mean, Flair worked with Bischoff uh, and they sued each other. I mean, yeah, there's ways that they can work around it, and there's some that could be professional about it. But the big question is, can Seth Rollins and CM Punk be professional about it? Because this is all going to be a work up until WrestleMania where they have their match. it's it, I can guarantee oh, yeah. it's going to happen. But the whole thing is, like, can they be professional and can, can Seth Rollins put his personal feelings aside? Because he's gone on record multiple times and said that he thinks that CM Punk is a cancer to the business and he does not want him back in WWE. Now, a lot of people say... Now, a lot of people say that Drew McIntyre also felt the same way because as soon as the match was over, he stormed toward the back. But reports have said that that was for a whole nother reason they're still trying to figure out what the reason is behind that. But apparently drew McIntyre was one of those few people that knew about CM Punk coming back. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think I've ever seen any situation in which Seth Rollins has gone into business for himself. And, you know, it can be said that Seth has a very polarizing personality. People either really like him or don't like him at all. So, I mean, you get you take two big personalities like Phil Brooks, CM Punk, and and Seth Rollins. You're gonna ha they're gonna have some opinions on each other. But like once again, it gets back to it is I don't think that those two individuals are going to put personal. They're not going to put personal issues above paychecks. Uh, I, and I would hope so because those individuals are are professional enough to know this is a business and it's about making money yeah and, and I, would, it, I would hope so too because at the end of the day with, i mean at the end of the day but, we want the wrestlemania match we want cm punk and seth rollins because that is a marquee match that is like oh, big absolutely. bucks that is a draw for sure 
But it's like we said, like, are they going to be able to be professional? Are they going to be able to work with each other and put personal feelings aside in order to be able to give the fans what they they want? I think that they absolutely will. And I think WWE is, is set up as a company in a much more efficient way to ensure those kind of things. Unlike AEW, you know, like AEW is still a young company and they're the, the billionaire promoter, though he is a billionaire and is a very good businessman, is still a young professional wrestling promoter. And he has professional wrestlers who are new to the promotion business themselves as EVPs. And that's not to knock them in any way, shape, or form. Like at one point, Dusty was a young professional wrestler who who, who got into booking and promoting. Um but, you know, if you look at, at AEW and just the way things were with Punk, I think, I think what he was really griping about a lot were things that WWE doesn't have issues with in the first place. Right. You know, they, they are more scripted, so it's not like someone's going to completely go off key and say something that, the other wrestler is just going to have to be okay with right then and there. Case in point, I mean, Adam Copeland went to went to AEW, and it didn't even take one week for him to realize this is not WWE. Right. You know, you remember the exchange between him him and uh, Absolute Ricky Starks that almost went off the rails entirely. Exactly. I mean, yeah, there, there's a lot that AEW still has to learn. A lot of the things that AEW needs to work on, and they still have plenty of time. I just hope that it's not too late because there's they still have plenty of potential, but only time will tell. Well, I think I think another point that, that that also needs to be made that you know some of these 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 you know quote unquote smart mark pages just uh, just being dead on about this is it's a business decision. The, you know, Triple H is head of creative. So, you know, I don't think this is the kind of decision that he doesn't sign off on. But at the end of the day, this isn't this isn't um, the McMahon family company anymore. This is TKO. And this company is run by people who don't care about personal grievances and issues. They care about quarterly gains and, you know, increasing revenue streams. So if I'm if I'm a if I'm a corporate executive and I see that one of the most uh, profitable merchandise wise professional wrestlers is available for me to add to my revenue flow of this new company that I acquired, I'm not going to hesitate for two seconds to put that into motion. Exactly. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Phil Brooks, CM Punk, he wasn't lying when he said that the, the Warner, the Warner discovery people, you know, Khan may have had his issues with him, but Warner Discovery execs loved him because he was guaranteed ratings. Well, that's the same thing with that's the same thing here. If I'm a corporate executive, I'm looking at the opportunity to increase ratings on an already solid show, to increase uh, sales for pay-per-views, to be able to increase sales for PLEs. Well, not sales for PLEs, but sales for the tickets for those shows. And then as well, all of the merchandise that we can now accumulate with CM Punk again. I mean... Good Lord. I mean, AEW lost a lot of money when now that all those best in the world t-shirts are going back to WWE's WWE uh, shop. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so switching gears from the high spots, we get into the botches. I only had one botch for this week. I don't know if you had any, but mine again was the Nia Jax wardrobe malfunction 
for the second time in a row on Monday Night Raw. Her match, of course, the back end of her outfit is torn and ripped and almost ended poorly for her, but they've got to work more on Nia Jax in more ways than one. At this point, I feel like you're looking for it. I mean, honestly, it's the second time that it's happened. I wouldn't be surprised if the third time happened. Because, I mean, with your whole thing with Bronson Reed, we've seen a nip slip on him almost every single time he's been in a match. So, I think this is going to be the new thing to watch for Nia Jax's matches. <laughs> yeah. Um, low spots for me. Um, I guess if I, if I really kind of got uh, into the woods on it a little bit, um, I would say the the ending to the Gunter Miz match in yeah. War Games. Um, I'm not really sure. It just it didn't seem like that's what it was supposed to be. And if it did, then I I mean I can't sit there and say that I would blame the Miz for not selling well or Gunter for not doing it just didn't like after the match that they were having and what they were doing I felt like it needed Something a bigger off. ending and I, I, I just felt like that you know the Boston Crab you know for 10-15 seconds it, it really it, to me like it just didn't make sense from the build up um, you know I, I felt like the Miz was building throughout the match and he was, he was outsmarting Gunter and, you know, he was really yeah. putting it to him. I just, I felt like if they would have continued with that storyline and that they would have, you know, had a, had a, an ending where, you know, Gunter had to give him, you know, multiple power bombs, you know, you know, really give him everything he had to get him to stay down for three. Right. And, you know, maybe have a, have an offer, you know, not necessarily a handshake at the end of the match, but, you know, for Gunter to look at Miz differently, I think that that would have been a really fantastic way for, you know, Gunter to to get more over, for the Miz to not lose any credibility, because at this at this point, you know, like I love the I, I I'm I was probably one of the biggest Miz haters in the world when he first came out, but you know I love the guy because you his story is great, you know he he is he, you know he's a wrestling fan like you and me, and you know he had an opportunity. And he seized it just like you and me would, but because he seized it the way he did, he had to work a lot harder to get the respect of the boys exactly. know, for the entirety of his career. And like you know, you see him, and he's just a good dude. But at this point, it's like he's so entertaining and he's so good at his craft that you know he's become a gatekeeper for the company and really just you know he's he just eats a lot of losses. He needs he doesn't necessarily to go on a win streak. But he, you know, we need to have those matches really mean something, and not just be okay. Here's a quick win for Gunter. Like, yeah, we'll let we'll let Miz get his stuff in, but then you know Gunter's gonna you know, just throw on a submission move, and and then that's gonna be the end of it. Seconds. Yeah, they need to do more as far as building a storyline to someone that's possibly gonna take the title off of Gunter. At this point, I'm not sure who it's gonna be, but. I'm sure they'll come out with something. I'm sure that somebody will make an appearance in some way, shape, or form. But, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying about that. But uh, as far as anything else is going on this week, you know, nothing as far as like big. We just have to see what the outcome is from WWE uh, tonight on – or not tonight, but tomorrow night on Monday night with War Games and see what the fallout is going to look like and if we're going to hear from CM Punk 
But yeah, I, I really do. I really hope that uh, CM that they'll give CM Punk some, you know, some uninterrupted mic time, and then at that point, somebody needs to interrupt him and you know start start the feud. Uh, I think I think whoever he has his first, whether it starts with Seth and it builds, you know, for a while, or if it starts with somebody else, you know, I, I would I would really love to see WWE lean into the most real, like a realistic, you know, half truth, half fiction storyline. And, you know, I'd love to see, you know, obviously they'd have to be heavily scripted to, you know, prevent issues like we saw at AEW, but to, to let guys like Rollins, guys like CM Punk, people like Drew McIntyre, people like Cody Rhodes, like there are stories there and we want the real stories. We don't want a made up story. Like, and I think I, that's you know, the mistake that WWE is going to make. But from what I've been seeing and from what a lot of the reports are uh, saying, I think the first bout that he's going to have is going to be with Shinsuke Nakamura. Because if you go back and see a lot of the cryptic messages that Shinsuke has been putting out in his promos and everything, a lot of things that he references or makes reference to tie in with CM Punk in some way. So maybe... We see CM Punk and Shinsuke Nakamura at the next uh, premium live event with WWE. That's a dream match on any card on any day. Absolutely. Well, guys, that is our episode for this week. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you'll come to Guardians Legacy on December 2nd to come see us there at the table. Also, like Justin said, go check out XIW this weekend as well if you're in the area. But, guys, thank you so much for listening. Also, check us out on social media if you haven't already. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Go check out our YouTube channel as well because we have content there, and we have more coming up as well. But as we always say, thank you for listening, and as always, keep it five stars.